0: Everyone, and welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. I'm Jonathan, your host, and here at Redbeard Outdoors, I talk about faith, family, fitness, and the outdoors. And for those of you that are new, thank you so much for tuning in here. I just am sharing a journey that I am currently on to be a better version of myself. And I know that we're all on that journey. So Join me as Tuesdays we have gear reviews, tinkering Tuesdays with mindset, gear, etc. And then days like today where I get to share some amazing conversations with some guests that either I've learned from, I look up to, enjoy their journey, want to share their story with you. There's a litany of reasons why I have my guests on, but today I have an outstanding guest for you guys. He is the CEO of one of the partners of the show. His name is Butch. Whiting and Butch is just an amazing individual that you're going to want to learn from. He was an Apache pilot. He designed Cryptech. He has so many other stories to tell. You're going to want to listen. But before we get into the podcast, guys, I just want to remind you that today, if you're listening to it today being Saturday and tomorrow being Sunday, November 12th, get into the November knockdown challenge with first form. Even if you don't shoot a bow, participate join the community and just have fun test yourself guys if you do have a bow you have the opportunity to win ten thousand dollars a trip to first form headquarters to compete for becoming a member of the pro staff with first form outdoors and just the opportunity to go to headquarters in and of itself is a trip of a lifetime so all of that being said it is free to get entered go check it out i'll leave the link in the description down below now guys let's get into this conversation with butch again guys he is the ceo of cryptech partner of the show my favorite camo they also make day-to-day gear they have some outstanding new t-shirt designs with arrowheads and other options that just show the love for the outdoors and the passion that we have so go check it out with that being said guys here is butch whiting and cryptech Welcome back to the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. I'm Jonathan, your host. And guys, I've got an amazing guest for you today. Butch has taken time out of his very busy schedule when you own companies and you're running the shop and you got lots going on. I, I always appreciate the time and whenever you take time out of your busy schedule for me. So Butch, guys, is the owner of Cryptech, And uh, as you know, I've partnered up with Cryptech. Every single interaction I've had with the members of the Cryptek crew has been outstanding. It's a veteran-owned company. Butch himself has made many sacrifices overseas and at home, and now started his own business. Uh, you know, a few years ago. It's been how long now?
1: Got a lot of different birth dates, but it's. <laughs> Ten years, over ten years, actually right at at that, but yeah, 10 that's
0: outstanding. So i I just want to introduce you guys to Butch, if you haven't met him before or seen his face around. He is the owner of Cryptech. And so, uh, Butch, outside of that, who are you? Um, give a little brief introduction of, of who you are in a nutshell.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Butch Whiting, CEO uh, and founder of Cryptech. Um, me in a nutshell. Uh, Born, raised on a ranch in southern Idaho. My uh, great-grandparents homesteaded in the late 1800s. Uh, Grew up a farm ranch kid. Um, Absolutely enamored and loved hunting. Uh, Early on, it was a part of our family culture. Um, On the other side of my family, my my grandfather was a uh, first sergeant in the 82nd Airborne in World War II and installed me a burning passion for the military. Fast forward through life, um, ended up graduating from Gonzaga University on an ROTC scholarship, got my degree in mechanical engineering, went to U.S. Army flight school, was blessed to be selected to fly Apache attack helicopters, um, did multiple deployments, you know, overseas, Afghanistan and Iraq, the whole time missing lots and lots of opening days of hunting season and or all hunting seasons, daydreaming about being in the outdoor industry, um, had a, uh, a very, very uh, awesome fellow soldier and a partner um, that uh, we basically had this idea to start Cryptic Outdoor Group. We went and started uh, Cryptic on paper and it got picked up as a concept and it became a hobby. And it was a hobby for a number of years. Our first big break um, was that we had written a business model and Cabela's got a hold of it. And they absolutely loved this idea of um, our our slogan "Battlefield the Backcountry," which is uh, the fiber of who we are um, as a brand. They love that tactical hunting crossover, and so they um, asked us if we, you know, come to a meeting and went to Sydney, Nebraska. And then, you know, next thing I knew, we were front and center in Cabela's for three years, and we we're kind of moving from an idea into really it was hobby phase. They, they uh, I'm sure they made ship pots of money and we didn't make hardly any, if any at all. <laughs> but, um, but that was our first real big break uh, in the outdoor industry. Um, they fell in love with one specific sentence that was in that uh, business model. And that sentence was to spiral features and functions out of special operations apparel into the civilian hunting market. And at that time, things like built-in knee systems, adjustable waist systems, and that type of stuff um, was not in play. And uh, even with what was the, you know, emerging technical brands, and we just saw a real, you know, solid application. And so, um, yeah, in a super uh, quick uh, snapshot, that's me on the side, and, and the rest of me is I'm a loving father, been married 27 years, or actually 28 years now. Um, you have two, two daughters that are, um, that are awesome and, and, uh, love the outdoors as well. And I'm extremely blessed. Um, probably something a lot of people may, well, in the hunting space, they probably don't know, but I'm a closet cowboy. Um, my, my, uh, family's very much into, you know, um, Western lifestyle and, and, uh, rodeos and such. So I guess in a snapshot real quick, that's who I am if somebody asked me in the elevator and only we we're on the 10th floor and we had to go to the bottom floor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And that's, that's amazing. I, I didn't know your uh, grandfather was in the 82nd airborne. I actually, um, my, my grandfather retired out of the 82nd. I was born right there out of Fort Bragg. So nice. Um it's, it, that's a whole nother breed of individual for sure. Uh People that are, are willing to go airborne. And then I've recently learned just a little bit about, I knew Apache helicopters were, were amazing. You were a pilot. um, So, you know, the ins and outs and like the back of your hand, these, these helicopters, but uh, for people that don't know about Apache helicopters, it's one of the coolest pieces of machinery that was well ahead of its time. um, You know, when they were first launched
1: and yeah. Oh yeah. And the most lethal weapons platform on the battlefield. Well, yeah, that's the reason why I fell in love with them. That hunting aspect that I had growing up um, and a lot of the skill sets that I kind of garnered through my family, my uncles, my grandfather, all that played out so well um, in that community being an attack helicopter pilot. I mean, I'm I'm telling you, the best attack helicopter pilots were, were probably some of the best, you know, outdoorsmen and hunters um, mm-hmm. as well. But it's an extremely lethal weapons platform. And for sure, when I was flying them, they've gotten better, even improved. They're constantly improving. It's like, you know, I, I flew lot eight long. I actually commanded Renegade Troop 43 ACR. We had the most newest, brand newest um, lot eight longbows. My guys actually picked them up in Mesa, Arizona from the factory. We flew them to Fort Hood, Texas, and we spent six months learning how to fight and fly. Well, flying wasn't different, but fight the new systems. And then we deployed them and took them to Iraq. Uh, I'm not sure what lot number they're on now, but it's echelons even better than it was with me. And I'm going to tell you what, Jonathan, I I, uh, joke about this, but my wife knows it's true. I, I often say, I remember 27 years married, right? I often say the only thing I ever loved more then my wife was Apache attack helicopter.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. and, and I don't, I don't blame it from what I understand about, it, and I've done a little bit of research just kind of on the surface, figuring out um, a little bit more. Cause I, you know, when, when I was a kid and I had um, all the different, I guess, helicopters and cars and stuff, when I was playing matchbox, uh, the Apache was, was my favorite one, whenever we would do uh, the army men, the soldiers. And, and so I just thought it looked cool. And then recently I've been figuring out how, the helmet itself and and correct me if i'm wrong here but where you look is where it will aim the yeah. the guns and so that's insane that's like i mean that's before virtual reality vr stuff was real you guys were using very similar technology um years ago and and that's that's pretty intense and that's pretty awesome that you were so you were literally a part of the machine
1: yeah you you would be what you do is first of all, the helmet was an absolutely critical piece of the equipment. And there was four IR sensors on that helmet, two in the front and two on the back on the sides. And in the back of the cockpit, there was two IR emitters. They were constantly emitting infrared energy into the cockpit. And so the helmet was like super custom fit to you. I mean, you would spend you know, hours in a uh, seat with a a specialist getting this helmet basically custom to your head. Um, And so when you got this helmet, it was like super dialed in. It was a crazy expensive piece of equipment at the time. Uh, And I think they've only gone up in price and become much more sophisticated. But how it worked is you'd plug that helmet into the aircraft. There was a couple different plugs. One was to plug into the computer systems and the IR and all that. And then also you'd plug in for your comms and you would get everything all set. You set in your seat gets front and center and you had a device we'd plug on the side or snap to the side and you'd rotate it down in front of your eye. And that was a heads up display unit, a HDU. And you'd basically turn on a bore sight. And there were crosshair would come up in the middle of that reticle. And there was a tube that was actually right center of the data line on the top of the uh, canopy or on top of the dashboard, so to speak. And you'd line everything up and you'd hit a button and you were boresighting your retina to the datum line of the aircraft and telling the aircraft, okay, this guy's head is now aligned with the aircraft in this position. And then from there to your point, once you were flying, doing everything else, you could what they called WAS or weapon action system whatever up the gun or whatever and you could just look and shoot off axis. And it was wow. a real super incredible and is a super incredible feature. Well ahead of its time for sure. That's for sure. I mean things have come so far so so quickly, you know, that's probably really old school. But um yeah, I mean it's an integral integral part of the aircraft for sure.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's amazing. And uh again, just I, I always looked at them and thought they were just cool. They're sleek. Um, you can tell they're they're fighting machines, and that's what they're built for. But uh, in in Apache helicopters, do you have a co-pilot or is it a single man?
1: There's a there's a front seater and a back seater, or a gunner and a pilot. The back seat's actually ergonomically de- designed to be like on the controls. The front seater's got some other displays and things. Um, that's more for you know employment of the weapon systems. Um, but you can fly from both seats and you can shoot from both seats. Um, the only thing you couldn't do in the front seat was start the engines, and the only thing you couldn't do in the back seat was laser target. That was the only mm-hmm. delineation between the two. I spent the majority of my time in the front seat because I was on the radios, command and control. Um, you know, basically kind of coordinating with the ground guys, coordinating deconflicting fires, talking to hire, doing all that type of thing. But um, yeah, it's a tandem. Dual seat aircraft, and to your point about like just looking cool, um, yeah, it looks pretty damn fierce for sure. And I'll never forget uh, we finished a mission on the Syrian border one night, and we had hit a bunch of of Al Qaeda vehicles. The ground guys came in, um, swooped up uh, some some survivors, take took them prisoner. Um, we dispatched a Blackhawk out there. As we're pulling security, they loaded the POWs up, brought them back to Tal Afar, and uh, I flew, landed, shut down. And as I was walking back to the hangar, they had all these Al Qaeda guys on their knees with uh, sandbags over their heads, and they were, you know, kind of standing security over them. And I asked one of the guys, I said, I hey, asked those guys what blew their vehicles up and what 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 just happened. <laughs> and so he started. You know, asking him and talking, and he comes back and he says, "They said spitting witch, spitting witch," and I'm like, "Spitting witch, huh?" They said, "Yeah, they they call
0: you guys spitting witches."
1: (laughs) So that was kind of interesting.
0: That's awesome. That yeah, and that's an interesting way because I mean, it's probably you know to to people that aren't used to that sort of technology, it probably is magical. You know what you can do with those machines. I mean, the, you know, the, the aircraft is just the way you can move, maneuver them and, uh, what you can do with them is just, uh, it's, it's beyond my understanding. And, um, I know, so my son actually just got his commercial license, uh, to be a pilot, but he's like, I don't want anything to do with helicopters because he's like, there's too much to, oh, wow. he said it's cool, but it's too much to, to maneuver different axes because you're not just flying in one direction you have to make sure your body's not spinning along with the rotor and all these other things. So uh, it takes a lot of skill. And then on top of that, the stress of, you know, again, going at such high speeds, um, you've got certain targets that you're going after. And then the, the stress of being at war in general, I mean, all of that together is just, uh, that's, that's super intense. So I'm sure you've got, you've got a lot of experiences.
1: It's never fun, no matter what you're doing, when you're getting shot at, but it doesn't mm-hmm. help when bunch of other things you got to do these aircraft are pretty advanced with especially the apache with the ability to you know there's a lot of stabilization that's provided by computer systems and so on you know other airframes are all manually input hydraulic input you know like a simple simple you know like little bird or md 500 but um yeah and uh flying helicopters is definitely much more complicated than flying fixed wing that's for sure Mm -hmm. especially your engine goes out and you're at altitude, right?
0: Oh, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. So you're, you're out there. Well, I guess you, you started on a farm. So obviously that's not easy labor to begin with. Uh, that's not a, that's not an easy laid back lifestyle. Um, I was never, I never had that opportunity, but, uh, I know plenty of people that I have, and, and, uh, I, I definitely understand that makes a whole nother type of individual as well. But you went out of that, you went into the military. And then of course you're missing all of these days that you grew up hunting. You grew up knowing opening day, knowing the dates, loving hunting Idaho, which Idaho has tons of opportunity. You've got elk, you've got deer, you've got bear, you've got, you know, so many different options. And uh, and you're just kind of daydreaming about what I guess CrypTech has become and where it's going to go. So kind of walk us through where, where did that vision start for you? And then your, your buddy, um, you know, with Cryptek, how how did that start?
1: Well, it started, if I go back into college, um, I did my senior design project for high country archery. And at the time they were, they were like the big dog in, in the archery world, especially in the whitetail hunting world. And so I had this incredible, like the best year of college was my senior year. I converted the whole basement of the engineering building into this archery lab. Um, There was one other mechanical engineer and three civil engineers that were a part of this team. And as part of this project, um, High Country had made a donation to Gonzaga. I don't know monetarily what it was, but then they gave us like a, a a series of specs they wanted to hit and they wanted to hit a certain axle to axle, a certain brace height, six and a half inches. I think it was a uh, 30 inches axle to axle and the bow had to weigh under five pounds. And, um, and so we were designing new bows. We had complete access to their engineers. We were constantly sending, you know, requests for information back and forth. Um, it looked like when you walked into the basement, this engineering building, you're walking into a bow shop and one whole end, end of the building was like just this massive target array, and it was just <laughs> incredible. Um, at the same time, all that's going on, I was shooting a lot and actually hunting with uh, Dan Evans. And Dan Evans was running the archery shop in Spokane, and you know Dan was making away rests before there was fallaway rests. Mm-hmm. We take a three D platinum premiere, we take it apart, put it back together, and we're and making fallaway rests. Um, so, you know, as we progressed along, as I progressed along, um, and, uh, you know, around 2000, the year 2000, the archery product of the year, Dan had went and started trophy taker arrow rest, And the, and I think archery product of the year that year was the shaky hunter and hmm. bow of the year was the high country carbon forerunner. And that's the bow that I designed in college. And I mean, that's meantime, awesome. I'm out in the military doing my thing. So 9-11 hits, I'm downrange. Every time I get a care package, there's a hunting magazine in there. I open it up and here's Dan Evans on a page. Right. And I'm like thinking like, Oh, I can't believe this. Right. I can't, I can, you know, as it progresses along, I was always comparing like, man, you know, how cool would it be to be in the outdoor industry? So I had this entire burning passion, like always falling back in the outdoor industry. And the thought was like, if you could do something where you had, you could go hunt, you could go fish, you could go do all these things and still kind of, um, uh, you know, take care of your family. That would be epic, you know? Um, and so that was a big catalyst and truth be told, I was looking at all kinds of stuff. Like I was deployed in Iraq one time and I was reaching back to, um, a uh hunting concessions here and there that I saw that were you know up for sale trying to broker a deal from Iraq with like some guy that's trying to sell his hunting concession you know <laughs> I wasn't super <laughs> hell bent on like one specific area um I just knew you know about the hunting uh industry or the, it being in the hunting industry in general and I really thought it was going to be along the lines of archery related um, stuff just because of that uh opportunity that I had in college and um, and then my uh, my uh, business partner, um, Josh Claycorn was he's one of my warrant officers and he actually is the one that kind of like, hey, you see what these guys are using in spec ops, these clothes and these knee systems and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I do. I see that. And so we we kind of got this idea of like just you know what if you did you took all of those features and functions and you brought them over, and offered them up in the, in the hunting market. And that, and it got hit. I mean, that's like, you know, there was a, there was somebody that was like, yeah, that's an awesome idea. And by the way, we've tried to do that in the past. This is Cabela's talk. We've tried to do that, but we didn't have any real backstory and we don't have Mm. any authenticity. So it's never really worked well. And so it kind of accelerated that into, uh, into what, Tis you know the start of Cryptic, right? Because there was a door that opened there, and we jumped through it. And when we first came to market, um, Cabela's wanted the Cryptic apparel in Mothwing Mountain Mimicry. And in hindsight, I can see it really clearly. At the time, it wasn't so clear. But what had happened was, sitka had originally come out in Mothwing Mountain Mimicry, and When Jason Harrison, you know, basically had a bunch of turmoil in Sitka, and Gore-Tex came in and acquired and took over Sitka, and he pivoted stage right to go start Kuyu, um, Gore-Tex left Mothwing Mountain Mimicry out of the equation. Mm. And they went into Gore Optifade. And so from a camo perspective, when Cabela's was talking to us, they said, oh, these guys are authentic. These guys got a great story. We can wrap them around this launch. This whole battlefield, the backcountry makes all the sense in the world. We love that. And if we put them in mothwing mountain mimicry, then all the guys that want to finish out their kit or didn't get their kit or whatever, maybe they got a jacket, but they didn't get the pants or the rain gear or whatever. We're going to be at, in the middle of that. Hmm. And I see, I see that now. I, but at the time I didn't know, I didn't know any of this. Right. Um, we were just like, dude, you aren't going to believe who just called me. That was freaking Cabela's. Well, holy shit. You know, that type of thing. I mean, that's how, how naive we were. So, um, for years we were in mothween mountain mimicry with Cabela's. The only place you could buy it was at Cabela's. And while that was happening, Uh, we were talking about like, hey, someday we're going to have our own camo pattern. We want to have our own identification.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: so there were some ideas about that. Um, And this tender or a solicitation came out from the Department of Defense, and they were looking for a new family of camouflage. And how this all worked in a nutshell is they said, hey, we want want three patterns. They need to have the same macro and micro uh, designs. Macro print, micro micro print. Uh, we want to cover a woodland area or green jungle or dense rainforest, whatever. Um, we want to cover an arid desert environment, and then we need something for everything in between, which they can they uh, call transitional.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: transitional environments, the the earth in military terms is considered seventy percent transitional environments, right? So that was like, okay, well, if we wanted, we've got some ideas, we've got some concepts. If there was ever a time, let's, let's do this. Let's go. And we, and the inspiration for our camo patterns out of the gate was camouflage netting. Because we saw that that was the most effective passive concealment measure on the battlefield, primarily through camouflage netting. that got stretched over a talk a tactical operation center mm-hmm. or a high side, or a Humvee or whatever. And when those hexagons got distorted, and that fabric was woven in and out, it had this three dimensional aspect, and it worked extremely well. So, our inspiration was to take camo netting, a three dimensional piece, and put it on a two dimensional surface. Truth be told, the absolute best passive concealment measure on the battlefield is a ghillie suit, but nobody wants to mess with a you know yeah. bunch of string and yarn and shit getting in your cables and your cams and you know all that, and it gets wicked heavy when it gets wet and it's hotter and shit and all that. So we developed our camouflage patterns. We submitted them to the U S military. Um, they went from uh, 60 some odd companies down to about 28, like immediately because they hadn't hit spec, they forgot certain mm. things or whatever. And, and they didn't get a chance to go back and fix it. And then it went into phase one testing. The phase one testing took them a year, 900 soldiers. They put them in a room. They, they did what was called a PIP, a picture inside of a picture. And they'd have a two-scale silhouette of a man and the, these drop-down devices that tracked the soldiers' retinas. And they looked for the camo man in the picture of the field or the picture of the mountainside hmm. and measured in microseconds how long that took. And the longer, the better. The bottom line, fast forward through all this stuff, is that we got down-selected um, with three other companies that were all billion-dollar companies. And wow, we were our laptops and our cell phones. And we didn't even have an office. Um, and progressed on from there, we got some monetization to go into phase two and where this ties back into Cabela's we went down for a meeting and I happened to have a swatch of cryptic Highlander in my backpack. And we met with these guys. We're mostly talking about accessories, gloves, hats, beanies, you know, gators, things like that. And, um, Towards the end of the meeting, I just happened to pull out uh, this swatch of Highlander and kind of told them what we had going on. And they lost their mind. And they were like, holy shit, can we, can we use that? And it was this really super crazy decision cycle because we we're still in the military uh, phase two testing with the Department of Defense. And we had Cabela's asking if they could use it. And the way that that tender was written is the con the, the brand got to keep the commercial rights to the camo pattern and the Department of Defense and specifically the U.S. Army had uh, 10 years rights to it, to use it on their equipment and however they wanted. Um, and so through those discussions with the DOD, they're like, you know, hey, if you want to do this, you can. And we ended up doing it and we got a lot of scrutiny right away because the Army hadn't made a selection, and there's a lot of people who are like, dude, you guys just shit the bed. You really messed this up, blah, blah, blah. Um, but truth be told, as it went through and progressed through Phase 2, which was all force-on-force, force, naked eye acquisition testing all over the world and you know soldiers involved, high alum testing, infrared, shortwave infrared unf- under NVGs, it got crazy political. And there were some super smart articles that came out that said From guys that were in the know, they said, hey, whoever wins this, the commercial rights alone is worth a billion dollars over the next 10 years. And then it started to click and dawn on me. I'm like, dude, this is like a much, much bigger deal than what we think it is. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, the other three groups had lobbyist groups in D.C. We didn't have anything. The end state with the whole thing was. They convinced Congress to pass a bill. that said anyone federally funded would all go into the same camouflage pattern. So Army, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, Border Patrol, everyone. And instead of the U.S. Army, who was going to be the recipient of this, announcing and releasing or announcing the award and releasing the phase two test results, they just went quiet. And to this day, the phase two test results never have been released. Hmm. And it didn't go anywhere. In the meantime, out of all the brands that are involved, Cryptic's the only one that has actually opened up a commercial program in the hunting market with Cabela's. And so at the end of the day, our original family of camouflage uh, is the only camouflage that has been extensively tested by the Department of Defense to well over $10 million um, and is currently selectively used by both U.S. Navy Special Warfare, Army Special Warfare, U.S. Special Operations, and Coalition Special Operations.
0: This show is brought to you by PSE Archery. Guys, I'm telling you, these bows are outstanding. Go check them out at your local dealer, PSE Archery. We've also got First Form and First Form Outdoors. Guys, amazing supplementation, but more than that, the education behind it so that you can achieve your goals. Definitely check out First Form Outdoors, link down below to get free shipping over $75. Montana Knife Company, knives that are made by hunters for hunters. Guys, they're workhorses, I'm telling you. Montana Knife Company knives, definitely go check them out. Black Ovis, use code Redbeard10. You guys will save some money on already amazing prices over there at black Ovis. They have some outstanding gear, whether it's their brand or some of the brands that they carry, definitely go check them out. Go grab your new pair of crispies over there as well. Initial ascent best backpacks on the market, all in digiscoping guys. There's a bino adapter now, as well as the spotting adapter, highly recommend it. Quick acquisition, simple, and it's high quality definitely go check them out. A3 Archery Bow Strings, Cryptech, Kestrel Glassing Systems, Dark Energy, go Ruck Guys, if you want to up your game with your training, definitely go check out go Ruck. Use code REDBEARD10 over there to save some money. Sheepfeet Custom Orthotics, Mimetic, Canvas Cutter, Affect, Beard Oil, Joybees, The Bow Hitch, Alpen Fuel, Heather's Choice, and the Crazy Elk Company. Guys, all of those companies that I've partnered up with, I use the gear, and I want you to be able to get the best price as possible. Check out any links down below and any codes that will save you some money are always in the show notes. So go check them out, guys. Support the channel. Support the partners. Thank you so much for your support. And now let's get back to the conversation.
1: And the other brands um, can't say that. So. Yeah kind of an interesting segment, that camouflage that you have on your hat Highlander is probably one of the most effective camouflage patterns that's ever been developed. Um, and it was extensively tested by the U S government.
0: Oh yeah, no. And I, I love it. It's I uh, I didn't realize it and it makes sense. Cause, um, I've seen pictures of where, you know, obviously people have seen pictures of the netting, but uh, my dad's got pictures from where he was working out. He was over in a uh, uh, the Gulf War, and uh, he was in, in the Marines, and so they would put those the netting over there, um, where wherever they were at, you know, uh, in their base. And so um, I didn't think of it like that. I looked at it and think sa- a snakeskin, but it makes sense now when you say that it it definitely yeah. pieces it together,
1: dude. I mean, a lot of people have said that, like in mm-hmm. the knockoffs that are out there that come out of China, they like, use you know a snakeskin variant or whatever. Um, I've also heard you know butterflies. I've heard. Hmm. Different things. Um but you hit you hit you hit certain restraints when you go to do what's called wet printing, um, which is how military grade fabrics are printed. When you wet print fabric, uh you get certain other additional properties that most hunters aren't concerned about, and that's hmm. back into the term infrared and shortwave infrared. So is it still camouflage when somebody's trying to acquire you through a set of night vision goggles? Hmm. If you, now you can take anything, I could take a picture of your face and we could make red beard camo and we could heat transfer it onto, uh, any fabric substrate. The problem with that is if you look at that through the, in the infrared and shortwave spectrum, or here's a better analogy from a hunting perspective, you have a trail camera set up, um, it's your bear bait station, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you're in Idaho and it's legal to bait bears. So you go in, it's dark. You're going to get in the stand, right? You get up in the stand, you hunt that day, maybe on the way there and you flip the card out. So while you're in the stand, you can look at like what's been hitting your bait. Well, when you look at those pictures and it's dark and you're wearing all, I don't care what hunting brand it is, our gear included. If that apparel was done with heat transfer paper. You're going to look like you're Gumby the glow stick, right? Hmm. You're going to look like you are white, a white green color, right? Now, if you take that same scenario, same exact thing, but you go in there and you're wearing military grade Nyco 5050 or whatever uh, it is printed, you, in that picture, you're going to look grayscale camouflage. You're still hmm. going to see the breakup in the silhouette. And that's what, when you're going against near peer competitors and what the military is concerned about is that they're not only fighting in the day, naked eye acquisition, they're also fighting against at night. And depending on your your enemy's capabilities, uh, you don't want to be Gumby the glow stick. You want to be still broken up. Hmm. So that's the difference between how stuff gets printed. There's lots of other ways to do stuff too, but those are the two primary deals. When you go back into the wet printing, you have certain constraints on how you can do things. You can't get as complicated and as fancy as you can just with heat transfer paper, which you could take any picture and put it on any fabric.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's cool. That's some good insight there. But uh, you know, that that's a really awesome uh, journey that this whole deal has gone through, and I, I I don't think that a lot of people understand. Um, the whole idea behind the camo, because I, I have heard snake skin a lot, uh, and so now, now that I know the story, I can go around and tell everyone where it came from. But uh, it, it definitely makes sense to me, so I like the Highlander. And then your transitional was that the Obscura transitional that you guys went with, or is that since then?
1: So we developed a new family of camouflage, which is the Obscura transitional. And if you look at that, the map we took the original cryptic camo, mm-hmm. made that the micro pattern. So now mm-hmm. it's set back in the in the in the background. And then we took the idea of a very effective, probably most effective camo pattern in history. Modern history is t- tiger striping. And we basically mm-hmm. put bold on on the macro pattern some bold quote unquote tiger stripes, it's not just straight lines, yeah. which provides even more breakup at distance. So oh, yeah, awesome. the, the, the transitional, it's an unfortunate name actually. I mean, it made sense at the time. Obscure transitional was for transitional environments. Little did I know we were going to step into like a woke critical race theory, you know, like (laughs) trans is like now, like, you know, Bud Light is, you know, the whole transvestite nonsense. So I prefer people call it, you know, obscure transitional and not obscure yep. trans <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah so we've got and i've got them lined up here so i've got some and that's probably my favorite pattern to be honest with you yeah. um for elk hunting it seemed to work really well especially this year when it was so wet uh there was a lot of green around um Dude. and so yeah
1: if you're in junipers it's epic i mean all the camo patterns work extremely well but that obscure transitional is my go to right now for uh archery elk and and uh you know, the guys are running it right now for rifle elk, too. Um, it's extremely effective. And that actually was inspired by DALO, which is the, the the Danish Army Logistics Office. Um, they'd come to us with a problem set, and uh, we kind of entered into, you know, uh, working with them on some things. And, and obscure Transitional was came out of that. But it's extremely effective, which, you know when you're bow hunting especially concealment can help <laughs> you know rifle rifle hunting i'm sure yeah but bow hunting uh i i would say that that anything you can do to provide you additional advantage um it's a must and um and it's really crazy awesome you know what i think is what's the true test of like an effective camo pattern is uh when you get into um turkey hunting turkeys have mm. some of the best vision that's what they rely on 100% versus like smell or noise is included but they're man they're visually acute and if you can defeat you know turkeys um and all the patterns work really really well for that i mean at the end of the day you know that's a good test though if you're if you're sitting there calling a turkey and it comes up and starts pecking your leg you know that <laughs> it's probably working pretty good um, but yeah, the camo patterns are are all purpose driven. A lot of the better, well known names in the outdoor industry, um, that have established, uh, you know, empires have been more focused on shelf appeal than hmm. they have on effectiveness. And you know, when you get into photorealistic camouflage patterns that look really good on the shelf. Um, when you start to get out to distance, let's just say that distances for a bow hunter, 20 yards would be close, but definitely like 50 yards, mm-hmm. it, becomes a, it becomes a blob. And then that's not effective at all. If you're in a combat environment. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, um, you don't see like a whole lot of mercenaries or, or ragtags running around on the news in the Ukraine wearing you know, real tree or mossy oak. Um <laughs> uh, And so, you know, there's a balance between shelf appeal and between effectiveness and purpose driven. And the shelf ap- appeal deal, we got, we found ourselves in a space we never imagined when we started by taking just different colorways and plugging them into the macro and micro pattern. And all of a sudden, you've got a whole new demographic mm-hmm. that we never even really imagined. You get into this lifestyle aspect. And we've had some major, major groundswell in things like in fishing, um, which, you know, all this is, is like a psychology type application. But you're able to also tell the those people that you're interacting with on a daily basis, you know, you're an outdoorsman if you're wearing one of those pieces. So when you have a bright blue and a black, I mean, you're not really trying to hide from the fish in those cases. I think fly fishing does have some real cases where you're trying to, you know, not let the fish, you know, see you, but saltwater and stuff is where we've seen the majority of the success and it, it becomes um, for a lack of better terms, a fashion piece. Uh, and so the camouflage is incredibly, you know, it's an interesting discussion. It's a paint job, right? But you've got true purpose-driven functional camouflage. Um, and in recent years, you see it everywhere in terms of the fashion world on all kinds of stuff and brands that, you know, it's not purpose-driven at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I do believe that for sure when it comes to a de corps morale, um, identify friend or foe, you know, that's an important aspect of how the camo looks, you know, recruitment for a military organization, you know, people, you want your organization to feel proud that soldiers or the seamen or whomever to feel proud when they, you know, don that uniform. Um, the hunting worlds, you know, years ago, there was the camel wars. The camel mm-hmm. wars were between Cryptic, Kuyu, and Sitka. Um, there's a pivot right now where solids are super popular, and maybe mixing of that. Um, I've killed, and I know a lot of awesome animals for decades and decades have been shot in flannel shirts and blue jeans, right? <laughs> But what it comes down to is that it's a paint job. And what really matters is what's under the paint job, right? Um, does it keep you dry? Does it keep you warm? Does it keep you cool when it's super hot? How does the, mm-hmm. how does the piece perform? Is, it, is the piece itself, the silhouette itself, purposely designed? Is, that, is it meeting your hunting expectations or your adventure expectations? Uh, is it durable? Is it holding up? You know, there's all those different aspects. And truth be told, there's a lot of really, really great brands that make exceptional product, especially in the expeditionary mountain-type hunting area that the brand, the products themselves are exceptional. Ski, mountaineering, right? But the brands themselves despise and hate guys like you and I,
2: mm-hmm.
1: they despise and hate what we hold true, true to heart, like that we stand for. And they hate firearms. They're, they hate quite frankly, probably hate the United States of America. So that's important too. I mean, if you, if you get behind some of the absolute most premier, brands in the in the expeditionary mountaineering world you're no longer supporting your the way of life that you want to have for your children and generations to come Mm -hmm. so that's another aspect of this and i would say even within the hunting industry proper there's woke brands which is crazy to me it absolutely blows my mind
0: well, there's money to be made and that's kind of, you know, and I, I, it, it is sad to see that. And that's why, you know, I personally like to align with companies that I know have really good standards. And, uh, and, you know, it was really sad because, um, I can't remember when it was, but REI came out basically anti-hunter and, uh, I was like, well, shoot. Cause like they sell a lot of amazing gear that could be used for hunting and, uh, and, I you know, can't I can tell you
1: exactly when it was. It was when Vista Group acquired Savage, and they mm. were carrying a bunch of brands inside of REI that were owned by Vista Group. Uh, Camelback is one. Um, I think Bell Helmets is another one. I, there might be more. But basically, at that time, REI decided, well, since you bought a firearm company, we're going to boycott all your entire family of brands and, you don't mm. know, placement in our stores. But yeah, of course there's great brands in there. Of course there's great sleeping pads and great sleeping bags and all kinds of like nice little tools to cook with and you know all the all the expeditionary backpack type stuff. But that's what we're up against and the thing is hunting's always been up against um anti-hunters. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been until like the last few years that everything else is really come under attack as well you know um and it's been just a, a a quagmire that's brought that out under these new administrations and initiatives but uh you know it's it's what you're up against now and what yeah. cryptic stands for is a lot of th- we, we're pro-constitution pro-second amendment we're pro-national anthem we're pro uh veteran obviously we're a bunch of veterans which supposedly now gets you on the domestic terrorist list right away, apparently. Um, <laughs> and we love to hunt and we love our families and we love God. And we want to protect that for our grandchildren's grandchildren. Right. So at the point though, is that when you get behind a brand and you got to know what else the brand stands for. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because it might not stand for how you want things to go down the road.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And, and I love all of those values are, they ring true to me. And, and again, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that a lot of people, you know, I don't think they realize it might take a little bit more work to go, or you might have to spend a little bit more, just a little bit to not go on, you know, REI, which may be next door, or maybe you've got a discount at REI or whatever, but finding companies that you can align with. And spending your dollars there to support them, so they can do their business and use their platform to continue to promote the things that you believe in. Um, that's super important. And and again, that's why you know I've, there's specific brands that I line up with that I I'm also able to provide a discount for my listeners because I'm like I want you to go to these companies. I believe in them because I've used the gear and I've met the people and I know their values and now. You know this is this is what i've partnered up with so um i do want to ask you what does cryptech mean for people that don't know what it means you get, you've got the spartan helmet um i get a lot of comments on that being a cool symbol what does it mean you know a lot of guys obviously relate to the spartan ideology of being being a man um and and standing up for what you believe in but what does cryptech mean uh, that word per se or why did you come up with that as your your name
1: well when we first got going, we had a bunch of names and we, every time we've spent a bunch of money, our own money, private money, pocket money, our wives thought we were shit crazy. <laughs> we to Make sure you could acquire them specifically mm-hmm. in class 25, which is apparel. Um, and what we did was we took two, uh, Greek words, cryptos and technos. And we basically put them together and did a play on the English word cryptic with a C and um, cryptos means hidden technos means technology. So the words together mean um, cryptic is hidden technology. Uh, It was a play on um, some spelling, you know, here and there using K. We also, in a lot of our stuff, we'll use what we call a stylistic Y uh, for the Y. And if you look at that closely, what that is, is that's the inside of the helmet, right? Mm. It Happens to look like a Y. And the tie into the rest of the picture on where that came from. Um, so when I was uh, commanding Renegade Troop 43 ACR, uh, I read a book called Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield, which is a historical fiction on Thermopylae. And it really, really just speaks to the warrior ethos, um, uh, of the soldiers and, and, the, and the family and the Greeks that were involved in, in, uh, Thermopylae. And as we were getting ready to deploy, I ordered, um, enough books for each one of my soldiers, all my, all my pilots, all my crew chiefs, maintainers, and everyone. And I went through and wrote a personal note in that book. Uh, to each one of them, and I handed it to him before we deployed. And the essence of it was warrior ethos. Um, Warrior ethos was what that culture revolved around. Like it was about nothing more than uh, from the time that they were able to walk, that uh, they were raised and trained to be the most fierce warriors to protect their nation. And that's all super factual, right? Um, when the Hollywood movie 300 came out, I was super excited to go see it. And when I left, I was so mad I couldn't see straight because it was such an abortion. It was terrible. Ah, I hated it. I hated everything about the stupid movie. In fact, I've never watched it again, even though you see memes on um, <laughs> on everything about it. Oh, yeah. But, but the, the logo when this started was kind of, an easy one to gravitate to back to is like that Spartan helmet warrior ethos. And truth be told, we proceeded like Spartan race and like that's become mm. a common variant theme even the Golden Knights uh in um Vegas the hockey team. In fact, I've got a thing with them going back and forth where my our trademarks precede theirs in certain areas. Um but it but why is that is it be, is because it, that warrior ethos resonates you know with that with that um symbol and then the stylistic why is really you know in many cases baked into the cryptic name is is like the in, inner spirit of that you know it's warrior ethos right mm-hmm. so everything that's been you know developed uh, in and around cryptic from the name to the logo to the stylistic Y, to the slogan, Battlefield to Backcountry, it's all just really super true, authentic, true fiber of brand, fiber of individual stuff. So hopefully when you get asked that now, you'll have a little bit more of an explanation. And I highly recommend that if you haven't read uh, Gates of Fire by Steven Pressfield, you should check it out.
0: Awesome. I definitely haven't read that book. And I, I did know what cryptech meant, but I wanted to hear your explanation because it sounds better coming from you than it does me. So
1: (laughs) you know what? I mean, we've got a whole new generation of guys too. Like, uh, there was a customer service email that came through here like a week or two ago. And, um, and this guy wrote in and he said, really, you want us to believe that the, the government really tested your camo? Come on now. And I'm looking at the the, the deal, and the, and I'm like, yeah, this kid, this guy was, you know, he's just coming into his own. He's just, you know, entering the workforce, you know. And you can't ever take anything for granted. I mean, a lot of our customer customer base right now are wearing flat brims, and I mm-hmm. and you know, I can remember the first time Justin Sparks uh, came into my office, and he had a <laughs> flat brim hat, and he said, uh, he goes, hey, the local. Um, West Ada, which is Boise, Idaho, here, uh, all-star baseball team wants to do these flat-brim hats, and I was like, "Fuck no, we are not doing them. <laughs> We're not." And he's like, "But they really want them." I'm like, "Fine, if the if the little league baseball team wants those, they can have." Them. I shit you not, dude. The, we started to get all these requests. Hey, we want this hat. We want this hat. We want this hat. And I was like, "Are you shitting me?" And so I had to come up with this mentality shift and the mentality shift was this is that even though I probably will not wear that hat that flat brim hat would I be embarrassed if I saw one of those little league kids at the time around town wearing it and the answer would be no actually I'd be proud like hey that's cool they want to they want to represent uh cryptic and if they like that flat brim hat that's great and so you know that flat brim stuff we, we got a lot of guys running flat brimmers now and um and so that's that's the mentality you got to take and they don't all know you know the story and they don't believe the stories too when you tell them they don't they're like whatever you guys are full of shit you never like why would the army test your, your hunting gear i'm like I went brother you know oh man so i don't mind i don't mind telling the story i think that actually we want to get it into a format in place where people actually can Resonate with it and understand it, and most importantly for me now, is that they can resonate where we stand um, from um, on which side of the fabric we are on the nation, right, and what we stand for there. One hundred percent. That's the most important aspect of it of the yeah. brand. So, exactly,
0: and that's why I try and I don't necessarily go out and. So I I served a a mission down in Mexico and went and um, there for two years. And I don't necessarily preach, you know, on my podcast, but I do always start off talking about faith, family, and then fitness and the outdoors. All of those four things are pillars in my life because it, it, it's, it's key to the fabric of this, this country. And I think everything starts at home. Uh, You're a family man. You've got kids, you've got a wife, you've been married for, um, almost as long as I've been alive. And, uh, and you know, the fact that you're able, that's not the norm nowadays. The norm is, well, marriage is just a piece of paper, you know, it's just a, whatever you can throw it away. And I think the divorce rates like above 50% at this point and yeah. the family's being destroyed. And so all of those things are, are definitely key. And I, I love talking about that. And, and it's funny to you, to me that you say that, you know, all these kids or you had this customer service email saying they wouldn't do that. Well, I had, I had a story recently where I was listening to a podcast, um, the Sean Ryan show. I don't know if you've, you've heard of Sean Ryan. Uh, and he had a guy on there that was Delta and he mentioned the name of one of my scout masters growing up. And I was like, and that's not a very common name, those two names together. And I was listening to it and I texted my scout master. I was like, well, my old, my former scout master was like, Hey, um, do you know this guy? And were you stationed here with him? He was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Hmm." And I texted my dad. I was like, "Dad, how many of my scout leaders were Delta?" He was like, "Everyone you went out to the woods was were trained killers." And I was like, "All right." <laughs> and it and it's I don't think people realize that um, the 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 people that like yourself that are trained to go out and you've got these you know you've had possible government contracts and and things like that they think of it as fictional. They, they, you know, the kids, asset kids, my age, you know, in thirties or, or younger, don't understand how someone like you or a Delta operator or a, you know, an Apache pilot can come into civilian society and not always be wearing camo and touting your, your, your military career. You fit in and you're a businessman and then you, you incorporate your values into your business. And so um it's definitely something that people need to I, I i can't believe someone sent that email but at the same time i i can believe that they they would be like oh i, I don't believe this you know they get lied to on social media so often too
1: that's yeah probably they never know what to believe i mean for me it, it just highlighted okay we need to do a better job telling the stories that we think maybe others should know but they don't
2: mm-hmm.
1: um yeah and at the end of the day uh cryptic is always going to lean on our foundation and where we come from, you know? So we're super honored and proud to serve our nation. And those guys that went and done the Lord's work, you know, I mean, we don't tailor just to that community. We want the guys mm. that have never served before. We want the guys that like aspire to go do that. We want, we just want the guys that want the best. Uh, and we're all in this, uh, same boat, right? We all love hunting. We have a passion for it. I don't care if you're a traditional archery hunter or a compound bow hunter, or you shoot a six, five Creedmoor that makes you gay. Um, you know, I mean all that nonsense, right? I mean, it, it really is about protecting, um, you know, the aspect of why we hunt the ability of, uh, to fill our freezer, self-reliance and pass that time, you know, uh, on, uh, to our kids as well. I mean, at the end of the day, that for me was probably the most important aspect growing up. I didn't go to vacations; we went to hunting camp, and and you know I look back on I wouldn't trade that for anything. And so to protect that, that culture and that lifestyle really needs to be the end state for everyone. The infighting mm-hmm. of you know this or that should all go away because all of us as and as a, an entire conglomeration uh, that what we treasure is under attack in one form or fashion. Yep. And so ultimately th- that cryptic wants that preserved for generations to come. The, the outdoor way of life, self-reliance, the ability that you're not shitting down both legs because, you know, COVID comes out and now you re- wish you remember how, you know, grandma canned and how grandpa had a garden and, oh, mm-hmm. I also remember how they used to go shoot an elk or a deer and fill the freezer. And, this lost art for many people, you know, that's the, that's the swell in, in the hunting community, the swell is all these folks going back, like, Hey, I want to, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to go provide for myself and take care Mm of myself. Right. If I need to, or even if I don't need to, but I just feel better about it because I know where that came from. I know where that meat came from, you know, it's so easy to get into an argument with somebody that's a vegan and why they're a vegan and like all the things that they hate about how, you know, hormones and and food processing and so on. And you're like, yeah, that's why we hunt. That's why we do it. Cause we're the ones that the only ones that touch it. And Oh, guess what? There's not a magic steak fairy that just like, voila, (laughs) throws a steak in the, in the freezer, in the cold section at the supermarket. Mm -hmm. So these are all things that, uh, America was founded on, right? And I think that are important for us to, it, of course, we all love to shoot a big buck. Of course, we love the adrenaline. We love the chase, but there's nothing better when you get to share that with your kids and
0: pass that on,
1: right? Mm-hmm. And so that's cryptic.
0: Yeah. I love that. And yeah, you're talking about passing it on. You know, my, uh, I, I usually get most of my meat processed elsewhere because I just don't have the machinery to do it, but I keep the back straps tenderloin, the heart. Uh, and, and we do that at home. And my my son, that's always his favorite thing. He's eight years old. And uh, he always asks me, even if it's someone else's kill, when I come back, I always bring the heart back because most people, they leave it with the the gut pile. And uh, my son, that's his favorite thing to do. We find different ways to cook up the heart and to process it. And he's always intrigued as we're cleaning it. Oh, what's this part of the heart? And man, that's so big. Or, you know, cleaning the back straps and tenderloins and um, I almost didn't get to eat any of the tenderloin on this elk this last uh, last month because my son was <laughs> my son and daughter were eating it all. And I look over and I have this little chunk left about this big. I was like, well, hold on. I want a piece of that, too. <laughs>
1: That's the fun part. Too. You know, I've played both. We used to process always everything and the kids mm. loved it. And especially if they're involved in the harvest, because then they go through the harvest, the processing and then the fun aspect in it's like my wife would send them out to the freezer to get whatever, you know, wrap. And then they were into the the cooking part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was growing up, if we didn't bring the heart and liver back, we had to go back and get it. And it's cause <laughs> grandma and mom and everybody was like, where's the heart and liver? That's the first thing they would say. And normally what mm-hmm. we would do is make sure that that got taken care of first. So we never had a problem, but that's a lost art in itself, eating heart and mm-hmm. liver. And I, uh, there's nothing I love better. I wish that my grandmother was still alive. She had the the most epic pickled heart recipe that I can still taste today. I've tried to duplicate. I can't get, I can't hit it. I've I've tried, but, um, you know, it's, that's fun. That's a fun aspect with the kids too, for sure.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. And, uh, you know, teaching them how to clean the meat and what the silver skin is and all of that stuff, just the little details and all the questions that come out of it and the pictures and videos and, and just the memories that are formed. Um, you know, it's all, it's all a lot of fun and, and, and enjoyable for sure. But I, I love that, that Cryptech stands for that. Um, and again, anytime I've had interactions with people at the company, at headquarters, uh, and, and just outside of headquarters, uh, it's, it's been a family environment and, uh, it's, it's outstanding. It's, you know, with, with some of the guys, it's like hanging out with your brothers and then with, you know, other people, you can tell that they love their families. They bring their families to the events. They, they, they're not afraid to show off that they're married, that they have kids, you know, things like that. It's very family oriented. So I absolutely love that. Um, I want to shift here just kind of to, to end it a little bit. I want to, I want to talk to you about the different items, uh, that I've used and, um, you know, your your favorite pieces. Uh I used the uh Sonora hoodie was probably my favorite piece during the Elk. Um I'd wear a base layer of Merino and then I'd have the Sonora hoodie. And one, I'm a I'm a ginger, so I get burned really easily. And that that Sonora hoodie is a 50 UPF shirt, which was outstanding um and super lightweight. So even when I was sweating it it would wick away really fast. Um and I, I, I didn't get cold or hot when I was wearing it, even in the middle of the day. Total Archery Challenge as well. Um, I'd wear that Sonora hoodie every single day. People were like, "Why are you wearing a long sleeve and a hood?" And I'm like, "Because one, I don't want to put greasy sunscreen on, and two, yeah. it's super comfortable." So, uh, no. where I guess where did that come from? The Sonora hoodie.
1: Hot weather uh, type environments. It's almost uh, we've got a lighter a lighter version um, that's all like a, a bamboo, mm-hmm. but that one is light enough to wear. The Sonora hoodie is light enough to wear um, when it's hot and you don't overheat, but it's also a really nice layering piece. So my favorite ensemble and what I hunted all this year and and actually in years past is I I love the Sonora hoodie, especially in September with a Dalibor vest in the morning. Mm, And then mm -hmm. as it warms up, I can pull that Dalibor vest off, um, put it in my pack. And then depending on the day too, I'll I really like the Alios pants with this setup because of the knee systems that can go in it, and I'm I enjoy having a knee pad when I'm like especially bow hunting. Um, but but the Sonora and there's a whole bunch of other hot weather pieces, um, that are actually going to be kind of redone. Mojave pants is another big one as well. That the guys to your point that you've gotten to interact with, they absolutely. Love that as a early season.
0: Yep, that's it, my favorite like, pant.
1: Yeah, the so the the Sonora, you know, even when you're a super warm environment, um, let's say you're hunting in Sonora, uh, it's still cold in the morning, dude, and it gets cold quick when the sun goes down. And even though you're you know, you look at it in, in the day and even in the winter down there when it's like a hot day is like eighty five degrees, it feels like it's way hotter than that. Sonora is super comfortable. It is one of the best and most favorite um early season pieces but it's also just a great mid layer layering piece so it's a that's where you get the complement of that of that shirt um it is an outstanding outstanding piece for sure highly recommended
0: oh yeah definitely and then uh late season um the so the merino layer the base layer is a little bit thick for me for early season. Yeah. Um but around this time of year, October, November, uh that's definitely my my go to base layer. I like the the body mapping that you've done on it. Um that's a really cool piece. And then oh big question that I keep getting asked why buttons over zippers?
1: Because we're going to zippers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're gonna retain the top button and have a zipper okay okay so yeah you know the feedback and input and stuff like that's super valuable and if guys have like you know hey i like this i love this but what about this or if they've got an idea or if they've got a complaint we want to hear about it so that we can continue to improve and make adjustments um so there's not a real good explanation on the buttons uh, except i know we're going to zippers i just had a meeting on it uh, i think 2 days ago so here in the in next year or, or shortly thereafter you'll see that sonora um, hoodie with some modifications that come down the pipeline.
0: Awesome. And back
1: into the the merino wool base layers, we've ebbed and flowed and we've had various weights over the years. We've also had camo printed um wool base layers. You know, it life cycles morph and change um we're gonna get, you know, super precise. For me, I think with base layers and even mid layers, um, you know it's always it's always gonna be um, uh, a matter of you know, just making constant tweaks, constant improvements. There's going to be new fabrics that come down the pipeline. There's going to be new blends, and you have to be you know, you might have a great piece one year, and then two years later, there's something better. So mm-hmm. it's always always an evolving thing. Uh, until somebody comes out with a product better than merino next to skin, the odor control on that alone is is worth it, especially when you hit a blend that's comfortable against your skin. You know, mm-hmm. like. Which is yeah. really an important thing, so uh, and fast drying. So,
0: yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that that merino uh, for a lot of people, it's um, really athletically built and and tight. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't sag if you wear it for a couple of days. Um, it's got the the weave in it that allows it to not sag for you know after a couple of days of use. That so I really like that as well.
1: There's a mechanical stretch built into that with uh, mm. nylon merino blend for that yeah.
0: purpose. Exactly. No, oh, for, for sure. Well, um, I appreciate you going over the I mean pretty much everything. This history of cryptic has been awesome. Uh we're gonna have to get you back on next year um as well. And um, I'm sure this isn't the last time I'm gonna see you for for a little bit, but uh um do you have anything else that you want to leave with the audience or anything that we didn't bring up?
1: For the audience, hey guys, if you haven't tried cryptic, uh hopefully you'll be more familiar with it coming out of this. Um, you know, God bless America. And, uh, thanks for your time. And if you do have comments, you've been running our gear, please send us, uh, send us input. We'd love to hear it and answer your questions directly. CS at cryptic.com. Come visit us, come visit our site. And, uh, thanks for your support. If you are running our gear.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, Butch. I know you've got lots of stuff going on, so I'm going to let you get back to your busy day. And, uh, and running a company and family and everything else you got going on but thanks for your time and and guys out there listening i'll leave the link down below where you can go check out all the cryptek gear and then uh, i've done a breakdown on my early season and by the time this comes out i'll have my middle to later season uh, breakdown of gear that i'll use as well I'll go check it out the different patterns whatever works for you from east coast to west uh and they've got it all guys and it's the best gear out there so thanks again butch you guys have an amazing you have an amazing day and of course. Get out, live your life, and love it. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Redbeard Outdoors podcast. Man, that conversation with Butch was outstanding. He's just a great individual. Loves his family. Loves what he's doing to help better the outdoors community. And uh, you should definitely go check out the gear. I'm going to leave a link down below so that you guys can save some money on your cryptek gear. Everything from the day-to-day options, which one of my favorite jackets, is the Eldax jacket. It's a lightweight, puffy, has a hood, has everything from solids to camo options, depending on where you're wanting to wear it. I know for me personally, I don't wear a around town very much, but Cryptek has some amazing solids that you can wear as well that I definitely prefer. Also the Dalabor 3 jacket, that's an outstanding soft shell jacket, performs well, keeps you just warm enough, but not too hot so go check those things out guys go i'll leave the description in the description down below if i can english today uh the opportunities to go look for butch go see cryptech and then of course save money on some cryptech gear thank you so much for tuning in guys leave a review if you haven't yet i would really appreciate that definitely helps the show more than you know also if you haven't checked out the youtube channel yet go subscribe to the youtube we're growing i appreciate that we have some amazing plans for the end of this year and going into 2024. You're going to want to be a part of it. We've got some awesome giveaways, some challenges, things that we've partnered up with the partners of the show so that we can give back to you guys that are supporting the companies that I work with and us here at Redbeard Outdoors. Thanks so much, guys. Have an amazing weekend. And don't forget to get into the November Knockdown Challenge with First Form. Now get out. Live your life and love it.